Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Can we hear it for our vocalists? Let's hear it for the vocalists at your campus. Wow, awesome, powerful, kind of emotional song. Say something, I'm giving up on you. I want to welcome you to Pop God. This is our music series in which we perform some of today's most popular songs and connect them with the truths of Scripture. And the song you just heard in your campus, Say Something, it's a beautiful ballad originally performed by pop duo A Great Big World in a duet with Christina Aguilera. Uh, They performed on The Voice and the American Music Awards. It's a breakup ballad, right? It's about a relationship gone wrong. And Ian Axel, who actually wrote the song, he gives voice to the guy in the relationship. And then Christina Aguilera represents this kind of broken-hearted partner. And in the lyrics, the couple look at one another and they ask each other, hey, is there anything left to say before we say goodbye? Say something. Or I'm giving up on you. I'm sorry I couldn't get to you. I couldn't reach you. I, couldn't, I didn't make more, do more to make this thing work. And you hear like the sadness and the regret in those lyrics. It's a very um, heartbreaking, kind of humble ballad. It's kind of the opposite of the chest-thumping club music that you hear on the radio all the time. And to me, it's one of those breakup songs um, that is like a soundtrack. If you're going through a breakup or thinking about what went wrong, this is the song like you put on repeat, you know? On, on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date myself with this, but I remember in high school, the breakup ballad that we all listened to was Total Eclipse of the Heart. Do you remember this? <laughs> Once upon a time, I was falling in love. Now I'm only falling apart. If you're over 30, put a lighter out right now. <laughs> put your lighter out. Right? You remember, we all have that song. Thank you. Want more? You want more? Turn around, bright eyes. Oh, I love that. I, some songs, right? They don't egg me on. Some songs, they just capture like that emotion or that moment in time about a, you know, a relationship, particularly one on the rocks. And in many ways, that's the theme of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament that we're connecting to pop music. You can turn there in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2, page 669, or you can flip there in your phone, Malachi or Malachi, as the Italians say, is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he wrote this message to describe God's relationship with his people Israel. If you were here last week, we learned that God actually chose Israel to be his love, to be his bride, his treasured possession. He says, I pick you, I choose you, and we're going to enter into a covenant. In other words, I'm going to vow and promise to love you a certain way, and then you're going to love me in return. And then for all eternity, people are going to look at our relationship and say, oh, give God glory. He's a God of love. It sounded very good. There was just one problem. Israel was lame, okay? Although their relationship started strong, they'd become complacent, apathetic. Their heart grew hard, and God's people were just going through the motions, being like, um, I don't know if you've really even loved us at all, God. <laughs> Our government is corrupt. Our finances are poor. How have you loved us? And what we learned last week is that's the trajectory of most human relationships with God. What starts out with conviction and passion and joy If our relationship with God isn't well-tended, it eventually lapses into disappointment, disillusionment, some distance, and then spiritual apathy sets in. And a lot of you come up and say, you know what, that's that roller coaster of faith, that's my faith. Things happen in life that make us question God's love for us. And so this series is really about working our way back to our first love. Unfortunately for Israel, they bottomed out in their relationship with God, began compromising in all 
sorts of ways. So Malachi is God's message to his people before 400 years of silence. Say something because I'm about to give up on you. Malachi is a breakup book, and it's this final desperate plea from a grieved lover who's about to walk away. And really, chapter 2 is all about relationships. And here's the deal. Today, I believe that God is going to speak very specifically to two groups of people in this church. First, Malachi is going to preach to those of you who are single. If you are single and you aspire to be married someday, Malachi tells us the most important decision you will ever make is deciding who will be your God. And then the second most important decision is who will be your husband or your wife. Who you will marry. What kind of man or woman will God have you covenant with? So Malachi is going to first talk to single people, and then he's going to talk secondly to married folks. Those of you who are here today and you're already married, you're in a relationship, the covenant marriage, how's it working for you? We live in a culture of disintegrating families, um, estranged kids, no-fault divorce, and guess what? That was Israel. And so the question for us is going to be, hey, how do you keep your relationship from becoming another statistic? from just falling into faithlessness and ruin and folly like the rest of, of uh, the world. This really is powerful. The second half of Malachi 2 tackles all of this. So singles and married couples, strap, strap in, okay, because you're going to get very practical advice about the kind of relationships that glorify your father in heaven and honor your husband or wife or your future one here on earth. So let's dive in. We'll begin reading Malachi 2, start at verse 10. It says this, do we not all have one, what? Let's say it together, one father. Remember this? Did not one God create us? Malachi begins by answering one of the big questions the people had. They're like, who is God again? And Malachi's like, God is our father. Specifically, he's your father. He created you. You have two dads, okay? Biologically, you have a father on earth. But spiritually, more importantly, you have a father in heaven. What that means is no matter how much or how little your earthly dad did or didn't love and nurture you, it's not decisive in your life. If you've made Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord, what it means is your Father in heaven sees you as his beloved son or his treasured daughter. There is nothing in your life that impacts you like who your Father is and what he thinks about you. Apart from God, our earthly life is impacted positively or negatively by our daddy. And in my generation, this is very uh, a critical issue. Statistically speaking, 40% of kids will go to bed tonight without a father in their house. For the first time in our nation's history, the majority of children born to women age 30 or under are born out of wedlock. So that just means the normal, typical scenario today is no father. And that's okay because the Bible says, actually, I am your father. <laughs> the God Bible says, I created you. And even if you don't have an earthly father, I adopted you into my family and as my child, I'm going to speak into your life. I'm going to actually tell you what's true. I'm going to tell you what you're worth. And I'm going to give you guidance about how to stay faithful in a faithless culture. And some people would say, well, what right does God have to tell me what to do? And Malachi says, well, here's two good reasons. He created you, and he's your perfect father. Not a controlling father. God is a loving, generous, patient, all-wise father. And what's father saying in Malachi 2? Hey, kids, open your ears. I'm about to call a family meeting because we got a problem. What's the problem? Read the rest of verse 10. Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being what? What's the word? Unfaithful to one another. So dad calls a family meeting. All the kids are on the couch, right? Did you ever have a family meeting growing up? My parents would put the phone off the hook and they'd be like, Teddy and Timmy, come sit on the couch. We're like, oh, here it comes, all right? What's the problem? Dad's like, you've been unfaithful to one. You're breaking the covenant. 
And that word covenant, we don't use that a lot today, but the Bible uses it a lot, particularly in the Old Testament. A covenant is just an agreement between two people in a relationship about how they're going to love and honor and stay faithful to each other. And typically, a covenant culminates in exchange of vows. Think of a wedding. On Friday, I officiated the wedding of Clint Taylor and his new wife, Abby. Clint is our worship leader at Mountainside. Can we hear congratulations to Clint and Abby? Very excited for them. And our pastors perform dozens of weddings every year, and every marriage ceremony ends in this exchange of vows. Clint said, he said on Friday, he said, I take you, Abby, to be my lawful wedded wife. I vow to love, honor, and cherish you for better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and in health, before God, till death do us part. That's a vow the husband gives. And then I say, and now you, Abby. And then the wife gives her vow. She says, in sickness and in health, richer, I'm, I'm with you. It's a covenant, this agreement before God that regardless of the hardships that life throws, we're going we're gonna to stay faithful to each other. We call it the covenant of marriage at Liquid. And what God is saying here in Malachi is, he's saying, hey, if I'm your father and I've adopted you, I created you, you're my child, and we're covenanted together. That means I've made certain promises to you. God has promised you things. He says, I promise to love you, to serve you. I promise I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. But you also have made some promises to me. You said, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to be increasingly more like you, my father, as I mature in the love of Christ. Or at least that's how it's supposed to play out. Unfortunately, not all covenants have a happy ending, do they? What was the problem with Israel? God says, you have broken covenant with me. And what's the evidence? You're being unfaithful to one another. God says, I want to talk about relationships, how some of you are breaking covenant with each other. And first, I'm going to talk to my single kids. And then I'm going to talk to my married kids. So the family meeting begins. And they're like, all right, dad, what's the problem? Look what he says in verse 11. He says, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. And, and just so we're clear, whenever Malachi says like Judah or Israel or Jerusalem, he's talking about believers. He's talking to God's people, okay? And the believers had done a detestable thing. What did they do? Look what he says. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by what? Say this together. Marrying women who worship a foreign god. What's the problem? Why has dad called a family meeting? Why are all the kids sitting on the couch? They've upset dad by marrying people who worship a foreign god. In other words, believers were marrying unbelievers. Now, if you're new to Christianity, let's just take a little marriage quiz. I want to give us kind of a biblical baseline for what the Bible teaches about marriage. Now, I want to give credit to my friend Mark Driscoll, who is a pastor at Mars Hill Church in Seattle for this. He's made Malachi very easy to follow. So here's the first question. Ready? Our marriage quiz. Ready? Can a believer marry another believer? Yes or no? Yes. Oh, look, you guys are advanced class. I love it. You're going to get this. Ready? You got it. 100%. Question two. Can an unbeliever marry an unbeliever, according to the Bible? Yes. Nice job. Look, you guys. Why am I even going over this? Now, ready? Can a believer marry an unbeliever, according to the Bible? Shake your head no. Okay. If you're a dad, go, no. Use your deep voice. Okay? And you know what? I get it. Some of you would say, well, you know what? What right, Tim? Does anybody have to tell me who I can and can't marry? And God says, actually, I do, because I created marriage, and I created you. So I actually get to speak into that. And if you trust me, and you love me like a father, you'll actually listen to me. And as an earthly father, I get this, okay, because I'm a daddy. I have a daughter. There she is, Chase. She's going to turn 12 this summer, and she's becoming a young lady. 
She was at another wedding I performed recently. We took this picture in front of the Rolls Royce that the bride and groom had rented to drive away in. And it was so funny because we're looking at it. And Chase says, oh, daddy, I want to drive away in a car like this with my husband someday. And I was like, well, you're not getting married, though. We, we, we talked about this, right? When you're 30, you can start dating. It's going to be an amazing decade for you. This is going to be incredible. And she's smiling. I'm not smiling. This is not funny to me, okay? I'm just like, this is, this is my little girl, okay? And I'll get run over by a car, okay, before I let some tool take her to the prom. This is not happening. <laughs> We're going to freeze her. She's going to stay my little girl. That's how it would be if I was God. She would stay stuck on 11 years old, little girl in a little yellow dress blowing bubbles, okay? But I'm realistic. I understand that although that's my wishes, one day she's going to grow up, and God willing, listen, my prayer is that she's going to meet a man who loves the Lord more than he loves my daughter. That, that's, my, that's what I want for her. I want her to meet a man who loves Jesus more than Chase because I know that if he loves and respects God most in his life, then he'll probably love and cherish my little girl for the rest of hers. You understand? I'm talking to you out of a father's heart. That, that's how God's talking to his children here. The most important decision you'll make in life is who will be your God. The second most important decision is who will be your husband or wife? What kind of man or woman will God have you covenant with for life? And your father says, and says, you know what? I don't want you to marry any man or woman who doesn't love and honor me first is number one because I want to save you heartache and pain. Now, some of you would say, well, dude, uh, that's great, but the Bible's 2,500 years old, okay? How does this apply to the modern world? Things have changed. Let's just test that for a minute. Things have changed. Are believers today marrying unbelievers? Christians marrying non-Christians? Yes. At what rate? According to a recent article in The Economist, 45% of all marriages today are what are called interfaith. In other words, it's the Christian who marries the Mormon, the Mormon who marries the Muslim, the Muslim marries the Hindu, different gods. And God's like, that's wrong. Your father says, actually, I know best, and this is my child. This is a bad idea. And I get it right now. Some of you are offended because you're like, I'm an adult, man. I make my own decisions. But you know what? To God, we're all children. (laughs) We're still little boys and girls, and you actually never grow so old that you actually don't need the wisdom of your heavenly father anymore, amen? Father knows best. So singles, let me just speak to you directly about this. How many of you are single? Just raise your hand, all our campuses. If you're single, okay, awesome, great. You're single now, maybe you hope to be married someday. You can take a look around. Hey. (laughs) Get coffee after the service. This could be a big day. This could be a big day for you. I'm just saying, all right? Listen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's funny, I talk to single people at our church, a lot of times, I, I'll, guys, if you're a single guy, and you're like, man, I can't meet a single, a good single woman at Liquid Church, I'm like, really? <laughs> really, right? Like, like it's, it's like, yeah, I went to the trout pond, and I didn't catch any fish. Maybe there's a problem with the bait, okay? Like, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm, I know that's like offensive and sort of true. I'm just saying, <laughs> if, you're, if you're single and you're dating, listen, seriously, the fire alarm goes off here. Because your father in heaven is saying, you know what, I need you to hit the brakes. If you're in a relationship with a non-believer, I don't want you to continue that because it may feel good now, but it's not going to end actually with a life of joy and peace and they live happily ever after. It's just not going to go that way. Because when a follower of Christ marries an unbeliever, good luck having children who know and love the Lord wholeheartedly. How do you expect your child to be devoted to Christ when mom and dad can't even agree on who God is? So singles, listen to your dad. Missionary dating often leads to miserable divorce. 
Missionary dating says, you know what? I'm going to date a non-believer so I can convert them. I'm going to be the girlfriend and the Holy Spirit. It's going to be amazing. It's not that doesn't, and the thing is, when you do it, it doesn't seem like a big deal at first because they'll come to church with you. Most people are like open to it. But the way they file it is, well, she's into that Jesus thing. It's like a quirky hobby. She likes those kind of movies. But down the line, when kids enter that equation, major problems. I was talking a few weeks ago with a, uh, a woman who married an agnostic Jewish man uh, earlier in life. He was actually a non-practicing Jewish uh, guy. They had two kids and actually no problems when they were young because he said, hey, you can take the kids to Sunday school. I don't care. But when the kids got grown, they were in high school, they actually said, Mom, we're not going with you to church anymore. He said, why? She goes, well, Dad doesn't go. Dad sits home, and he reads the paper on Sunday. Dad goes golfing on Sunday, and I'm Dad's son. I'm not Mama's boy, so I'm not going to church. And she said, Pastor Tim, this is so painful because I feel like my kids are in high school, and we're asking them to choose between their mom and their dad. And guess who's going to win that? Who your father is and what your father does is decisive. And she said to me, she said, Tim, this is so painful for me as a parent. Because as a parent, my heart is, I want nothing more than just my children to know the Lord, that he's number one in my life. But the problem is, is he was number two when I got married. My pastor at the time counseled me not to marry somebody of a different faith, but I didn't want to listen because I was in love, and now I'm in pain. That's what she said to me. And your heavenly father speaks into that, and he says, I want to spare you pain and heartache. I know this is hard, especially when the pool of eligible Christian men or women seems very shallow but this is too important to compromise on. Missionary dating often leads to miserable marriage and divorce. Statistically, that's true. Sociologist Brad Wilcox did a very revealing study and says the highest divorce rates are for couples who come from different religious beliefs. In other words, it's not money, it's not sex, it's faith or lack thereof. So for many of you who are single, I'm just, I want to speak to you with a father's heart. I understand this is a hard season for many of you especially if you're a little bit older and you aspire to be married someday, but for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. So if you're single and you don't see anything on the horizon, I, you basically have three options. I've listed these in your notes. If you're single and you're like, I aspire to be married someday, but it's not happening, three options for you. And the first, number one, is just sin. You can just say, you know what, I'm going to date the non-believer. I'm going to move in with, with somebody. I'm going to sleep with somebody. I'm going to play the single scene. I'll find somebody. I don't care who they worship. I just don't want to be lonely, so I'm actually just going to sin. I'm going to rebel. I'm going to do my own thing. Because, Father, you haven't come through for me. Is there a man or woman? I can't hear you. Say something. I'm giving up on you. I'm taking matters into my own hands. And let me tell you something, what this is going to do. Particularly for you ladies, this is going to harm your relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's supposed to be the most important guy in your life. Listen to me. Any man that hinders your relationship with the God man is the wrong man, okay? Option number one, you can sin. Number two, you could settle. I've seen a lot of singles do this. You can start with a list of, I want somebody who loves Jesus too. I want a guy who just has two eyebrows and smells nice, okay? It's just like, okay? And if that doesn't happen, he just needs to be breathing, all right, at this point. What I've seen happen is that when uh, the right guy or gal doesn't materialize, you start to cross things off your list, right? You're, you're, you're a lady in your 20s, and you're like, man, I want a man who loves Jesus, who wants to have kids like me. He's going to be a spiritual leader in our home. And then you hit 30, and all of a sudden you're like, I'll cross that off the list. I can respect him. I'll just find someone who believes in God, all right? And pretty soon it's like, well, they used to believe in God, went to church when they were little, close enough. Suddenly you start settling. You lower your expectations. Hear my father's heart. Don't do it. Don't be unreasonable, but don't 
have, don't settle and lower your expectations because it's better to be single than miserably married. Married people, I'm not asking you to amen, amen that, okay? Don't, <laughs> don't be like, amen, no. Singles, there are married people here who if they were an honest moment took you to the side, they're like, it's totally true. It is better to be single, listen, listen, than to be in the situation that I'm in. You can sin, you can settle, or you could suffer. I see a lot of singles use this opportunity as, to say, you know what? I'm giving up. I, that is it. I'm never going to get married. I'm giving up hope, and I'm going to take my heart, and I'm going to lock it in a vault, and nobody gets to it. No more dating, no more trying, no more caring. If somebody says, I want to introduce you to somebody, you say, no, thank you. I kiss dating goodbye, okay? I close my eHarmony account. I give up. I'm bitter. Don't become bitter and just suffer through singlehood. I talk to men and women in this church who treat singleness like a club. And they club themselves over the head with it. There's something wrong with me. I'm damaged goods. Nobody wants me. Nobody loves me. No, everyone's rejecting me. Listen, you hand that club right over to Satan and you let him beat him over the head with it. You don't do that. If you're single, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not a second-class citizen in the father's family. You're a beloved daughter of God, and you need to trust the Father's heart and timing. Again, let me give you a dad's perspective. Statistically, 9 out of 10 of you will marry. Did you know that? As adults, 9 out of 10 of you will marry. Now, it may not be according to your timetable, but Father knows best. And it's, tr- it's best to trust God's provision than act out of your desperation. So if you're single and you're like, I'm wondering if my wedding is ever going to come, seek solace in this fact. You worship Jesus Christ, a God who was married or single. What was Jesus? He was single. And Jesus lived, um, what kind of life was it? It was a, oh, perfect life. Jesus, as a single adult, perfectly fulfilled the Father's purpose for his life. His life had purpose. It had a meaning. He literally changed the course of history with his life. So if you're single, you follow Jesus. Understand, you follow a single person who didn't sin sexually who actually had relationships with the opposite sex that were actually normal and healthy, friendly, but not over any kind of line. Jesus was single, but he wasn't lonely. He didn't waste his life. He invested it. And we're part of God's family because of that. So if you're single and you are struggling in your season of singleness, know that the Jesus that you are talking to is a Jesus who understands. He is a high priest who sympathizes. He's a single God and Savior who's been where you are, And he's able to comfort you and console you and encourage you and instruct you and lead you and guide you in this. The most important decision you'll ever make is, who's your God? Jesus Christ. The second most important decision is, who's who you're going to marry? And sometimes, Malachi says, the best decision is not to marry. That's the heart of the Father in Malachi 2. He says, you're marrying unbelievers. How do we trash our relationships? We sin, we settle, we suffer, and we wind up in marriages that never should have started because they begin in relationships that never should have began. Does that make sense? That's Malachi's message to those of us who are single. Now, let's turn our attention to those of us who are married, all right? Another show of hands real quickly. How many of you are married right now, okay? Raise your hand if you're married. Good, okay? Don't be like, I'm married. I wish I was single. I'm kind of, no, all right? Listen. God has a word for married folks in verses 13 through 14. Look what he says. He says, another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears, big crocodile tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? Here it is. Ready? It's because the Lord is the what? What's the word? The witness 
between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage, what's the word? Covenant. Here's what was happening in Malachi's day. Men were divorcing their wives to run off with younger women. Again, aren't you glad this is the ancient past? This would never happen in today's culture. Literally, in those days, the man was the one who could only initiate divorce, and he, they, were, they were divorcing for no other reason than they wanted a change. I want an upgrade. I want a newer model, okay? How relevant. Say something. I'm giving up on you. This is so relevant. The Bible is not some antiquated message from the distant past. It is timely as ever for the modern believer, because you see this in our world. The guy gets married. They have, you know, he gets married young, has kids, and he and his wife get older, and he has a midlife crisis, Right? The kids are getting older and his wife's getting older. He's like, I'm not happy anymore. I want to be with a younger woman. And so he divorces his wife, torpedoes his kids, shipwrecks his legacy, and runs off with another woman in the name of being happy. You lost your wife, you lost your kids. It's going to be awkward for family Christmases, Easter, every occasion. Happy's not the word I'd use. Happy's not it. This is 2,500 years ago. It is such an effective strategy for destroying families, that Satan just keeps handing down the same script one generation after the next. Times change, the human heart does not. And God's like, you weep and you wail for all this pain in your life, but you forget something. I was a witness at your wedding. I was actually the witness between you and the wife of your youth. There are campus pastors, they perform dozens of weddings every year, hundreds actually now. And did you know something, married folks? God was at your wedding. Did you know that? (laughs) Your earthly father may have walked you down the aisle, but your heavenly father says, I'm actually performing the ceremony. As a pastor, God's representative, we begin every ceremony with these words. In the presence of God and these witnesses, you're entering into a covenant of marriage. See, Christian marriage is a covenant between three people. It's the husband, it's the wife, and the Lord who binds them. Now, the state license in New Jersey gets signed by two witnesses, typically the best man, the maid of honor. But God says, "Um, actually, I'm here too, and I'm the most important witness. I created marriage. (laughs) And as a father, I created these two children, so I get to speak into the relationship. Is that okay? Can I say something on it? All right. Now, that's that liquid why we don't let you just get married. Did you know that? You actually have to go through a marriage mentoring process first. What that is, is when an older, wiser, experienced Christian couple gets to mentor you and speak into your relationship. We don't let everybody in the church just get married so it looks good in the wedding photos. You know why? We're not obsessed about the wedding. We're obsessed about the marriage. Most brides, I notice, are after an amazing wedding. We want you to have an amazing marriage. It's not the big day. It's the day after and the day after that. And that's why we put the focus on Christ because by yourself, here's the truth, you're just not going to have the internal resolve to go the distance till death do us part. You're just not, not going to have it because guaranteed you are going to marry a sinner who disappoints you, who offends you, who steps on your toes, who's going to act selfish, who's going to be irrational. I'm just talking about the honeymoon at this point, okay? Listen to me. (laughs) Marriage is not what our culture thinks it is. Marriage is sexual. Yes, but sleeping with somebody doesn't make you married. Look what verse 16 says. He says, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and what? And spirit. So so the relationship is physical. Yes, they become one flesh, but it's also spiritual. As believers, both husband and wife actually need the Holy Spirit to enable them to love each other with God's love, to actually forgive each other with the forgiveness of Christ. 
to take the work of Jesus on the cross and say, we're going to apply this across the board in our relationship and family. That's where you get supernatural strength for marriage. It's not your natural spirit. That's selfish. It's the Holy Spirit with his sacrificial, the spirit of Christ, which is forgiving, which is submitted to the other, which says, I'm going to put your needs above my own. And our little marriages on earth are supposed to be a little reflection of the big marriage in heaven between Jesus and his church. Think about Jesus and the church, right? Christ didn't break his vow with us. Jesus dies in our place to defend the covenant of salvation. And we're to keep the same faith with our wife or husband in the covenant of marriage. You need the Holy Spirit to fulfill that vow. When people aren't empowered by the Holy Spirit, that covenant is more, tends more to fray and break. And you get what happens in Malachi 2, divorce. You see it here? Look at the following verses. I'm not going to go into great detail, but let me just outline for you the three biblical grounds for divorce. As I said, in Malachi, the people were just getting divorced because they wanted an upgrade in that day. But in the Bible, there are really only three legitimate grounds for divorce that's justified in God's eyes. And the first is adultery. When the husband or wife breaks faith with the spouse and has sex outside of the marriage, it is a breach of the marriage covenant. In Matthew 5, Jesus said these words. He said, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. So even Jesus affirmed that adultery is legitimate ground for divorce in God's eyes. It's like tearing up the covenant. It's devastating. Whether it's an affair or a fling, it's very, very difficult for couples to recover from. It's not impossible. You need to hear that. By God's grace, with a spirit of radical forgiveness, I actually have seen God restore marriages that were shipwrecked by adultery. So you need to know that. Even if you have biblical grounds for divorce, you don't have to get divorced. It's permissible, but it's not ideal. And don't make that decision in isolation, by the way. Invite others into that. As painful as it is, you've got to invite godly counsel from a pastor or other mature believers. Don't get your divorced friends together and say, what do you think I should do? Okay, that's, what do you think they're going to say? That's what a lot of people do. They say, what do you think? What was it like for you? Dissolving any marriage before God is a grave decision, and you cannot make it rash, and you can't make it in anger. But in the case of adultery, divorce is permissible, though not ideal. And the second grounds for divorce is abandonment. In 1 Corinthians 7, the Bible talks about what happens if a Christian is married to an unbeliever who leaves. In other words, like, let's say, hey, let's say two unbelievers get married, but then one converts, becomes a follower of Christ, and the other says, you know what, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, I'm out of here. And he leaves. The Bible says you're not bound to the covenant anymore in those circumstances. It's over. The biblical grounds for divorce are three A's, adultery, abandonment, and abuse. You see this reference in verse 16 here in Malachi. He writes, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does, what's the word? Violence. Violence. To the one he should protect. Listen to me. It is never, ever God's will for any man or woman to stay in a relationship that is violent or physically abusive. As a father with a daughter who I have vowed to protect, this is very upsetting for me to imagine. I actually felt myself, my blood flowing as I wrote this part of the message. And then I thought, how does God feel? How does your father in heaven feel when he sees one of his daughters or sons being beaten or abused by the one who vowed to protect them? You understand why God says, I hate divorce. He doesn't say, I hate divorced people. Don't mishear that. It's just the opposite. 
in God's family, we actually have special compassion and grace for those of you who have gone through the devastation of divorce. If you've been, if you've been previously married, you are welcome at Liquid Church. You are so welcome in this church. As a senior pastor, part of my hope is that our church could be a safe place for you to heal, for you to feel embraced, your kids embraced, not judged. Because when you're hurting, you actually need a family that can come around you and lavish the Father's love on you and your children. And guys, this is where the message of Malachi just gets very personal for me. Because my wife, Colleen, comes from a divorced family. Colleen's mother gave birth to her at age 18. And her father, they were young, they were immature, he's a little bit hot-headed, and the relationship quickly imploded. They were divorced by 20 years old. So for most of her life, my wife, Colleen, grew up without a father. As an only child, being raised by a single mom. And about 12 years old, her mom had a pretty miraculous conversion to Christ. She was kind of a prodigal, and her life did a 180. She was saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit when Colleen was 12 years old. And my wife says, the first time in my life, I had a mom. <laughs> Colleen actually saw the change, and then she became a believer shortly thereafter. Started attending a little Pentecostal church in the Bronx that became family to her. The pastor of that little church had two boys, and he and his wife took Colleen under their wing and treated my wife like a daughter. They would take her on family vacations and became the fatherly presence that she longed for. Scripture says... God sets the lonely in families, and that's what he did with Colleen. And so to this day, as her husband, I am indebted to that church for my wife's heart and for her healing. It's one of the reasons why Liquid has a soft spot for single parents and children of divorce. When we started dating in college, um, she said, Tim, most of my family's divorced, my mom and dad, my grandma, my grandpa, they're, they're divorced, divorced again, remarried, divorced again. And I remember my parents actually said something along the lines of, Timmy, we want you to do a girl for you. That's how my mom speaks. We want a girl for you who comes from a stable home, a family that's intact. That's what we've always prayed for. But you know what Colleen said? Mrs. Lucas, with all due respect, nobody hates divorce more than those who've experienced it. She said, I've seen the damage up close and the confusion for the kids and the pain of single parenting and the awkward holidays. And I can tell you this, nobody will work harder than me, to avoid divorce. So when Colin and I received our parents' blessing and got married, we actually made two vows. The first was this, we are never getting divorced. It's just not an option for that. We tell this to our kids. We say, this is not an option. No matter what happens with mommy and daddy, we're not breaking up. We're just stuck with each other, okay? And then number two, listen, we never threaten divorce. Some couples do, and it's a mistake. It is a mistake. You will never scare your spouse into compliance but you will threaten the covenant that your father created. And in 16 years of marriage, Colleen has never once threatened divorce, though I am certain she has considered murder. <laughs> All right, a little true, a little bit true. Listen, married couples, I'm, 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 literally, some of you, this is God's word. This is, this is his only word he wants you to walk with today. Never threaten divorce, never. Even in jest, because it may lower your stress, but understand it heightens fear in your kids. And that's the whole point of marriage, isn't it? Look how Malachi ends in verse 15. He says, what does the one God seeks? Say these words together. Godly offspring, the kids. So be on your guard and don't be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. God's a father. God wants godly offspring. Did you know that's why he created marriage? 
It's not about what you want from marriage. I want to be happy. I want to be understood. I want someone who loves me. I want someone who appreciates me. I want somebody who doesn't put on weight. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And your father says, but I know what you need. I'm your dad. I'm at every wedding. I have heard every vow. I have seen it all. I officiated the first wedding between your first parents. And trust me, I know what you need. I'm your father. Listen to me. Your kids are at stake. Your grandkids are at stake. Generations yet unborn are at stake. And you've got to look beyond your pants and your pleasure. (laughs) What's God speaking? Dads, let's say it together. Godly offspring. Most men are motivated to make the offspring, but not to raise them. Listen, any guy can make a baby. It takes a father to raise one, amen? So be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Check your heart, check your spirit. Do not be a fool and go along with the rest of the culture. Say something, I'm giving up on you. God has a vision for your life. God wants you to love the Lord. He wants your kids to love the Lord. He wants your grandkids to love the Lord. And this instruction that God gives here in Malachi is the last thing he says for 400 years. So it's a pretty big deal. Your marriage is meant to reflect the big marriage where Jesus is the groom and in the church is his bride and Jesus never gives up. He never leaves. He never betrays. He lays down his life. So if you're a father, you need to have a father's heart. God's, God's look, he's like a dad who's looking at his children who are shipwrecked saying, does anybody here care about the kids? Is anybody thinking about having, leaving a godly legacy instead of just having a good time? Anybody? Husbands and fathers, I got to get your heart today, and God needs to keep it. Your life is about a legacy. It's about godly offspring. It's about teaching the next generation to honor their wives and love the Lord. And you need a father's heart if you're a father. And this is the hope. God, your father, can give it to you. If you're here today and you're like, dude, this is hitting a nerve because I'm single and I'm struggling, or I realize I'm in a bad dating relationship with someone who doesn't love God and I need to break up, or... Tim, I'm in a tough marriage. It's not abusive. It's not, you know, adulterous, but it's not perfect. I'm not perfect. He's not perfect. And we're going to have a hard time toughing this out. I need God's spirit to help. He will give it to you. Listen to me. You just ask my wife, Colleen. Colleen comes from three generations of divorced families, and the tracks were greased for her to be the fourth. But by God's grace, Jesus Christ stepped in, and he put an end to the pain and the dysfunction And now the Lucas family is setting a new family legacy. We're building a marriage, a home where God is honored and children are cherished and Christ is revered. And it's not perfect, but it's being built to last because it's being built on the solid foundation of God and his word. I pray every day for my daughter's husband, for my son's future wife. And I trust the father is going to provide that. We have vowed as a family. We're like, as for me and my house, we're going to actually serve the Lord so that one day our kids will lead their kids into the truth and peace and joy of God. So here's how I want to close today's service. I want to challenge you to make the same vow with our family. And I'm going to ask everyone to join me, both single folks and married couples. In fact, let's do this. All of our campuses, would you stand up right now? Just stand up right where you are if you're single or married. And I'm going to ask you to covenant or vow with me on some things. So just stand up right where you are at your campus. This will be our closing prayer. This will be our covenant together before God. Let's start with single believers. If you're here today and you're single, you follow Christ, you aspire to be married someday, I want to read the words of this vow out loud together. I'm going to read it and then you can repeat it after me, single Christians, all right? 
I promise my Father in heaven. Now you say it, ready? I promise my Father in heaven to only date someone who's single. To only date someone who's single, loves Christ first, and me second. Beautiful. Now married couples, I want you to, I want you to actually... Take the hand of your spouse. Would you hold their hand right now? In fact, Colin, would you come on up here? My wife, Colin, give her a hand. Come on up here, sweet. You put up with a lot. You do. <laughs> Colleen, she puts, thank you. <laughs> she puts up with a lot for sure. Here's what I want you to do. Married couples, this is for you. This is vows we're going to exchange in the presence of God. So you can repeat these words after me. Would you put them up on the screen? Ready? With God as my witness, with God as my witness, I want to say something. Now stop. I want you to turn and look at them in the eyes. Look at your husband and wife in the eyes. Let's say it together. I'm never giving up on you. I'm never giving up on you. I will stay faithful to you and God our Father so our marriage reflects his glory and not my selfishness. By Christ's power and for his name, amen. Father God, I pray right now you have heard these vows, and you have given us the power to fulfill them through Christ. Lord, we thank you because of Christ's sacrifice. All our past failures and sins are forgiven. And because of his resurrection, we're raised to newness of life and empowered to leave a legacy. Father, I pray now for those who are single. Give them a renewed sense of hope and purpose today. And I pray for those who are married, Lord, that these vows wouldn't just be empty words, but right now a divine promise sealed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for adopting us into your family. We now trust you with ours. Thank you that your love never fails. Never fails. In Jesus' name, all God's people said together, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you are inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.